Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, marketing consultant and strategist for architects. On this episode, I'm joined by James Murray. James is a director at Tandem Design Studio, a medium-sized architecture firm based in Melbourne, Australia. Tandem have worked on high-profile projects such as Federation Square in Melbourne, the Museum of Old and New Art in Tasmania, the National Gallery of Victoria, most of the major universities, as well as a number of retail food markets around Melbourne. So over the last year, Tandem has begun putting out thought leadership content that's designed to share their expertise and grow an audience of potential clients in some of the niches that they specialize in. So for example, they've recently launched a podcast series exploring the challenges facing public markets. They've also begun writing and sharing articles on prefabricated building technology, housing affordability, and the future of shopping centers, to name a few. So I wanted to speak to James and get a look behind the scenes of how this content is being made, how the pandemic has changed their mindset on marketing as a medium-sized firm, and how architects can build an audience of potential clients who place a value on their knowledge and not just their design skills. So if you're looking for ways to market your firm, but you have trouble getting started with content marketing, then you'll get a lot of ideas from this conversation with James Murray from Tandem Design Studio. Uh, so James, thanks for coming on to the podcast today. Pleasure. Thanks for having me, Dave. No worries. I'm, I want to just dive straight into talking about this new podcast that you and Tim have been working on to do with public markets. So I guess my first question is sort of where, where did that idea come from? Because you guys are two episodes in now, but w- at what point did you start thinking, hey, maybe we should start a podcast? I think part of it was having a bit of spare time during lockdown uh, and thinking about some of the things that we'd been working on as part of a broader review of where we were heading as a practice. And so once we actually started doing that, we started realizing that there's probably a body of knowledge that was kind of stored away on, in our heads and on computers that we'd never really put out in the public realm. And I think we were interested in sharing that information, but also um, it was a really useful exercise for us just to actually collect all those thoughts together and try and put it into some kind of structure. And so the podcast seemed like a really logical thing to do. We had a a bit of a secret weapon. We had um, Alicia Brown from New Doors. Uh, She's been helping us with marketing. And she'd done a few podcasts and said, look, you know, the, the kind of technical aspect, which was maybe what had held us back in the past, or just the fear of unknown a bit, uh, she got us over that completely. And um, as you know, doing your own podcast, the, the technology is kind of already there, pretty easy to access. Um, you know, we, we certainly didn't find that part of it hard. It was really the more the, the structuring of the information and, trying to make it seem uh, like it was a bit off the cuff. We, we, we had a lot of experimenting with how best to actually do it. Yeah. 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 So we'll, we'll talk about the construction of the podcast because I'm really interested and I can, I can tell from listening to it that you have put quite a lot of work into really thinking that stuff through. But I guess just in terms of the overall topic that you've picked, which is public markets, um, you've got a it's a kind of a personal connection with that and, and, and you guys have also done work in that area. But I guess why the why the public market topic first? Was there any other topics that you guys were considering or was that the straight away the obvious? 
Uh, it seemed straight away obvious in that it, it was a bit of a niche. Uh, and one of the things that we were really looking at is, okay, well, what, what work have we done over the last 15 years? What kind of buckets can you put it in and what, what are the overlaps? And we weren't quite sure uh, why we'd ended up with a lot of public markets work. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's it had relationships to a lot of the other work that we were doing and, and it st started to sort of become more about thematics rather than specific types of work. But public markets were definitely something that we said, okay, well, we've done quite a few of them now, not whole markets, but we've been involved in, in markets of various sizes and various stages. And so it was really about sort of saying, okay, well, if we're going to do one, markets is probably one that has the most material at hand without us having to sit down and kind of try and generate a whole lot of new content. So there's yeah. a bit of laziness in there. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting. So you've you've chosen a marketing strategy in an area that you're already very solid in. You know, you're not you're not going, we want to do markets. We've never done one before. Let's start a podcast about them, which yep. When you actually say it out loud, it sounds like a pretty silly idea, doesn't it? <laughs> you, you, you've gone. Let's let's. It out loud. <laughs> that would be that would make for a really substantial podcast, wouldn't it? Two two guys that don't know anything about the topic discussing it for thirty minutes. Um, so you've done the opposite, which is the really good strategy. You've you've looked at the different areas that you've got expertise in these different buckets, and God, this is the one that we think we can we we know the most about. We could talk about this for hours. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think once we started, we realized that actually one podcast wasn't going to be enough too. So then we had to break it down into different components. And that's, again, where we sort of realized, okay, well, we've actually got a lot that we can draw on. And Alicia really helped us structure that. So she really was the one that said, okay, well, you're going to have to break this into three. Otherwise, um, it's just going to be a giant dump. And yeah. <laughs> You want to have something left to, to come, come back to and keep going with. So, uh, and set up these sort of three questions at the start about the challenges, um, how markets might change, and then finally, what's the future? And we haven't actually done the future markets podcast yet. We're running yeah. a bit behind on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's cool. So, so you decided at the outset that you wanted it to be like a three-part series and then it's kind of in the can done and dusted at that point and then do you guys think about maybe starting a new podcast on another topic or do we go to season two of public markets the, uh, the return of the markets yeah. is that <laughs> yeah no i reckon we're, we'd be pretty much done by the third yeah uh it was starting to feel by the second that maybe you know are we going to get to the third <laughs> so, <laughs> um I, I don't know how you find it but yeah it it is quite a lot of headspace that you have to have and you both have to be in the, in the right kind of frame of mind as well when you're doing it with two people. And we also have had Alicia there um, choreographing it as well, which has been great because otherwise I, I'm not sure that we would have had the discipline to keep, keep going after the first one. <laughs> okay, so yeah. yeah. So, so the structure of the episodes is basically the two of you guys kind of almost – you know, as much as you've tried to make it feel quite off the cuff, you've clearly prepared like a lot of a lot of content for each episode. They're like 25-minute episodes and it's you and Tim kind of sort of taking turns kind of back and forth 
kind of, you know, browsing these different subtopics of the bigger topic of public markets or you've picked a theme of each episode, then you're covering the many kind of aspects of it. Um, yep. So as far as like putting the, the episodes together, did, did you guys write a script or did you, what was your process for actually getting to the point where you were sitting down having that conversation? Yeah, that's, um, that, that was interesting because yeah, we definitely started out thinking we could off the cuff it. Uh, and, and then we thought, okay, well, if we're going to do that, it's probably a format similar to the one that we're having now where it's yeah. maybe more of an interview. Yeah. Uh, and Alicia was keen to sort of sit in the background a bit more and not be so front and centre. So she said, okay, well, it's really got to be you guys having a conversation. Um, and then once we started that, we just found that if we didn't have some structure, yeah, we just meandered all over the place. <laughs> and so, which some of it was good, but then I'd, on balance, we, we said, okay, well, we really need to put a bit more structure around it. And that's when we started saying, okay, well, let's think about it as topics. Let's write some dot points, um, subtopics within the topic. Yep. Let's make sure that we hit this point. And I think the first one we may have even written out a few of the things, and you can probably hear it when I'm terrible at <laughs> reading things yeah. and pretending that I'm, that I'm not. So yeah. Yeah, we tried, it, it was really a bit of trial and error at the start. And I think um, we, well, I hope we got better as we went through it. But yeah, we did definitely needed a bit of structure around it just because uh, there were really key points that we were trying to hit. And yeah, as you said, it was only 25 minutes. So if you weren't on topic, you're kind of missing things and we'd have to go back and re-record it. We did, so we had a few sound issues, which meant that we did kind of re-record probably half of the, the first one, I'd say. And yeah. the other thing was we were in lockdown too. So we were remote. Yeah. Um, trying to pretend that we we're in the same room, which was pretty funny. So is it, you guys were just doing it over Zoom, basically? Yeah, we, um, Alicia used uh, Zencaster. Zencaster, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. And, you, uh, and, and that worked out well. You, f you felt that you, you were able to still have that kind of studio chemistry that you were, <laughs> that you were hoping. As much as you can. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you found it, but I've certainly found it pretty difficult, the online stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tim and I sort of been working together long enough that we we managed to to find that chemistry. But yeah, there were moments where we were both kind of looking at blank screens and the sound wasn't working very well. Um, there was a lot of feedback going on when we initially did it too. So we ended up buying a proper microphone, which was pretty good investment. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's great. Now actually, but yeah, oh, no, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Um, okay, so. So you're going through this and then you're recording, you're recording on Zencaster, then it's getting edited down and getting produced and all that stuff. Um, yep. Interested. Okay. So the stuff that you've picked to talk about in the podcast where you guys are really, you're really dropping the knowledge, like quite, quite kind of in-depth uh, knowledge about this, this area. Um, who was your... You're obviously, when you're doing that, you're obviously deciding what level of complexity are we going to go to on this topic? And you're probably thinking about framing that around who's listening to it, right? Because yeah. um, I was listening to it and it kind of felt like it wasn't for somebody who who only went to markets, you know, to buy a cucumber. It was more like, it was more like, this is for people that are like really 
you know this is people who are operationally like living breathing the market industry you know um which is obviously depending on how you look at it i guess you could say a smell a fairly small niche right um but yeah. i guess where yeah. do you guys think the the limits of who your listener base is for this podcast yeah no i mean you're spot on if someone downloaded the podcast thinking we're going to be talking about what fruit and veggies <laughs> this week they'd be pretty disappointed uh, but yeah, we didn't want to get too technical either. So in terms of the people we were pitching to, it was really uh, people involved in markets, whether that be uh, people actually working at markets or perhaps more so we're thinking about people who are considering how you might start a market. Uh, not to say that we, you know, we had the knowledge to explain to someone how to do that, but we've certainly been around people um, like David O'Neill from PPS and, and others uh, to see what might be involved. And so they were the kind of people we were thinking, hopefully they'll be listening. If not, it's probably not a bad exercise for us to consolidate our, our thoughts. But yeah, people that are actually working at markets, I think hopefully there was enough in there for them to kind of take away things from that without it getting to we tried to keep it very deliberately not architectural um and, and that's always hard as an architect as you know and so yeah we weren't pitching it at at architects in any way um we also tried not to sort of start out with okay well this is we're going to get a job out of this because there's just no way of knowing that and the kind of things that you'd say to try and win work aren't necessarily what we had on the podcast so we tried to keep it as honest as we could not pretend that we sort of knew things that we didn't um, and yeah keep it quite conversational in tone but make sure that we got into enough depth that someone who was interested in markets would find it kind of meaty and want to keep listening to it yeah okay so you mentioned a couple of really interesting things there and the first that i want to ask about is this idea of we didn't talk about architecture now that makes sense to me from a yeah. making a product that people want to listen to standpoint, <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, um, yeah. that, you know, if it was all just about, I, I, and I want, I guess you to talk to me about where you separate what you guys are talking about in the podcast from what, what you were going to, what you would talk about if you were deciding, okay, we're going to talk about the architecture of the markets. Yep. How do you sit with this idea that we're architects, architecture is our yep. skill set. That's what we're kind of about, but we're going to do a podcast where we don't really talk about architecture. How does that, how does, how do you get to a place with that where that feels natural and makes sense? Like you've got a clear idea of what your job is there. Yeah. So this, this is taking a long time, I think, because, you know, you just naturally instinctively want to talk about buildings and quality of light and materials and, all those things that excite and interest us as architects, uh, but are, uh, and are also interesting for people using a market. But the thing that we found with markets is there's so much sort of misunderstanding around what architecture can do and be for a market that we wanted to kind of dispel a few of those those myths and and not sort of add to that by saying, okay, well we're architects, we're going to talk about markets, so. Uh, here's how you should design a market and a market should look like this. And, you know, all those kind of um, I get arrogance, one word, but, you know, that sort of egoistic approach yeah. where you're the architect, you know, the best layout for the market. Markets don't 
evolve in that way. And generally design has been seen as something that's actually quite counter to markets. So I think what we wanted to show was an understanding around a process for designing a market that could involve architects that would actually be um, more than just a, a pure kind of aesthetic design exercise. And so that was something that's, uh, you know, it's taken a while to kind of get to that point. And I think the temptation to sort of go, oh, here's an amazing concept we did for a market in Sydney. Um, aren't we great? Uh, <laughs> what does that actually mean for um, someone who's thinking about a market? They, they look at it and they go, okay, well, there's some nice design features there, but actually, you know, how do the logistics work? How does the circulation work? How does the flow work? How does flexibility work? How does um, expansion over time work? Those aren't, maybe they're not super sexy in some ways, but if you don't understand those things and can talk about them, uh, I think architects will always be dismissed in that arena. And, and, you know, you can point to examples overseas and go, oh, look at Barcelona. They've just got the most incredible 42 markets that have all been redeveloped. And some of them are absolutely stunning pieces of architecture. But if you're a market um, person who's thinking about redeveloping here in Australia, uh, you know, that, that's a long way away in terms of the kind of things that people do with markets here and also the way that markets tend to develop here. They, they don't generally not starting with a clean slate. Often they're, um, you know, like Queen Victoria market, they're evolving over time and incrementally. So they're quite different sort of design exercises, if you like. So I think it was about thinking, well, what's actually useful um, as designers? How can we kind of prove our worth to these clients or these potential clients? Um, and what have we learned on our other projects that we can bring to that that's beyond just sort of a bit of a sales pitch around design is, is the answer for everything. And I, I think, you know, because we actually had a, a statement from um, David O'Neill, who I mentioned before, he said, architects kill markets. That was his just, <laughs> so, and then we were, we were in the audience when he gave that talk and went, oh, yeah. crap. Maybe we should leave this talk and just not even we'll, consider. We we'll let ourselves out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We weren't putting our hands up at question time. Um, so, sort of when you start with that statement, well, how do you how do you bring people around? Because yeah, sure. If some architects have come in and kind of completely ruined um, some markets, but the potential to be involved in that process is something that we were kind of really fighting for. Yeah, that's great. So, so, and you kind of, you touched on this earlier that, you know, we, we sort of, we weren't trying to think of it as how do we win a job out of this? And I think you've just kind of accepted that it may or may not work out. And you've, and it sounds like you've got an attitude of it probably won't work out. But that's actually, in my opinion, helped you <laughs> because it's allowed yeah, right. you to just kind of like have a much more, well, we're doing one anyway, whatever happens, happens. How do we make it as good as possible for the people who are going to listen to it? We're not, we're not as concerned about what the payoff might be for us. And I think in doing that, you've actually produced something a lot more successful. Is that how yes. it feels? You're kind of like, and, and well, I guess, firstly, is that kind of, is that kind of how it feels? But secondly, um, how do you, how do you have the drive or the commitment to create something when you've kind of convinced yourself, I'm not, 
I'm not necessarily going to gain something in the short term from doing this. So two separate questions, but I want to kind of. Yeah. Well, maybe the last question first. So yeah. the, the it's really the long game. And I think what we got to after we sort of had this uh, uh, rethink, which, I mean, you touched on earlier, it was pretty recent that we'd actually started thinking about marketing and what are we doing and what should we be doing and Really, we had no strategy up until, oh, I'm going to say, a year ago. It was just work comes from somewhere. We seem to get a lot of referrals. Um, and, you know, Ray, Ray Brown, who you've had on your podcast before, has helped us a lot with this. He's been with us for longer than a year, but it's sort of only sunk in the last year. Um, <laughs> we're a bit slow. And it was really about, okay, well, we need to be thinking about the kinds of work that we want and we need to be getting out there and trying to actually build a brand around that. And that's a slow thing. And it's not a case of just, you know, whiz bang graphics. What, what, how are we going to differentiate ourselves in a really competitive market? And we decided that our experience and our knowledge was the, the best way to do that. And to try and convey that in a, in a, hopefully in an interesting way, if it's not interesting, you know we'll get better at it um but it was just something about uh okay well here, here's some here's some knowledge that might be useful why not share it it's also been really good in terms of giving us the confidence that okay well we can do more of that and keep going and then start to change direction in terms of the things that we pitch as well so you mentioned before why markets and will we keep going with markets we're hoping we'll get more market work, but it's it's quite hard to know when that's going to happen. I mean, it's not like Resi where there's a reasonable consistency, um, especially recently, seems like that's kind of picked up a lot. You, you're not sure when they're going to happen. You're not sure when council are going to have funds to do that kind of work. So you just kind of keep that ticking along. Uh, but at the same time, we've built up this approach of, okay, we're sharing thought leadership was one description, which... Mm. Might be a bit over the top, but um, in that small field, you know, if you can show that you're you're actually thinking about some of the things that are impacting and affecting clients, then that's something that we thought was really worthwhile. And and it was back to that conversation about not going to meetings and meeting people, having a coffee, and and expecting to get a job at the end of it. You know, which when Ray first started helping us with marketing uh that was i couldn't understand that i said well you know if i'm gonna have a coffee i'm gonna get something out of it <laughs> so, yeah i mean you know it doesn't just doesn't work that way i mean i was listening to one of your other podcasts where you were talking about the percentage of people that are actually looking for work at that time mm. at any one time is so, so small so you can't expect that you're going to have coffee with them at that magic moment so having this this, uh, I guess, back catalogue of things that we've been thinking about and working on uh, and continuing to develop that that content is, it's taken a long time to realise that that's really important as well. So that we've got to actually stop doing some work once a week and get on get on our podcast, even though, you know, it, it is a struggle sometimes because you just, there's so many competing um, interests in an office. Yeah, how do you manage time in to to be able to work on this stuff? Because you guys haven't just gone, 
All right, we're going to do some marketing. Let's get somebody to have a look at the website and let's start posting a bit more often on Instagram. You've you've not done that kind of surface level stuff. You've just jumped straight in the deep end of the pool and gone, all right, let's start a podcast. Let's start working on some blog posts. Like <laughs> you've, yeah. you've, gone, you've reached straight for the most like time consuming options you could possibly find yourself. So yeah. that must have been a kind of a, a big change and obviously the mindset and the enthusiasm for it, it sounds like it's there and, and you guys have gotten past the planning phase and you've got stuff that's out and you've got good people that are helping you and everything. But as yeah. far as, um, as far as fitting it into your lifestyle at the practice and how you work as directors and do yeah. you guys carve out, like, do we have marketing day? Is there like, yeah, yep. No, spot on. I mean, we have, we have sales day and we have marketing day. Um, and, they're both two-hour meetings, one on Tuesday, one on Thursday. Uh, and Alicia's at the marketing meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we bring in um, Ray as well. But Katie from our Brisbane office is, is also there. Yep. Uh, and so we don't have a lot of meetings, the three of us together. That's that's one of them. Uh, and so, yeah, that's become really quite formalised. And, again, the whole sort of structure once we went into lockdown uh felt really constricting at the time when we first started doing it but it's been a good thing i think um (laughs) now that we're back in it again uh but that you know we now have that in the calendar every week and we got into the habit of doing it and now we keep doing it and it was very much the same when we um started doing board meetings you know it's just you have to have that time no matter what's going on. So, yeah, it's not a whole day. It's just a couple of hours. Yeah. But then so, we recording times for podcasts, for instance. Yeah. yeah. So you guys do an actual weekly. So we have a sales a sales meeting as well, but you'll have a weekly two-hour meeting. Right. Okay. That's quite cool. On marketing. On marketing. Yeah. And yeah. that'll be that'll be Alicia and Alicia's... Um, We've got a running list of things that we're trying to do and yeah. we're looking at having her more involved this year as we seem to be getting a bit busier now, which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, things are picking up again. So we've sort of realised we're going to drop the ball if we're not really careful and we don't allocate enough time to other people. So we've also got someone in the office um, who's helping Alicia uh, and so Alicia's been doing quite a bit of the content in terms of saying, right, okay, guys, well, if we're going to talk, we've recently um, won a social housing project. And so uh, Tim wrote a piece on that. Alicia wrote the draft and then Tim reviewed it. So we've got a kind of process in place. Often it's an interview format yeah. first. We found it's great because you could just do what we're doing now and let it all go. Yeah. Um, and, and then Alicia's been really great at structuring that and, and formatting it and and toning the language down and, and you know, sometimes yeah, yeah, no, definitely. selling so, the art and speak out of it as well. Yeah, so so you've I've just looked at some of the other topics that you guys have come up with on some of these blog posts. You've got like what shopping centres can learn from public markets in a post-COVID-19 world, which is kind of tapping in. It's sort of a you know, echo of the podcast, I guess. And then you've got this other one, high-rise contagion, cabin fever and housing affordability crisis, exploring a new take on the Scandi solution. So some yeah. you're picking kind of a mix of sort of related things, but these are, these are some of the written articles. 
And I guess strategically, like where do you kind of, where do you sort of separate what becomes a, what, what's better suited as a written article versus what's suited as a podcast potentially or another format? I'm not sure what, what other kind of plans you guys have in progress at the moment. Yeah, well, then there's probably the third thing is just the more typical um, how do you talk about a project? Mm. Uh, and, and we're trying to reframe that right now. So that, that's been an interesting one. It's like, okay, well, previously we had a website that was just a total encyclopedia of everything we'd ever done, including, you know, <laughs> yeah. and how do you find any of it and what, you know, what's relevant and um, what are the thematics was sort of became more interesting to us. And so I think the podcasts were, well, I'm not exactly sure yet how we're going to distinguish between podcasts and written pieces because sometimes I think they're going to have overlaps. But, yeah, I think the other thing that we're really keen to do is start to actually look at the projects that we've done and talk about them in a way, again, that's more informative around things that we've learnt, um, lessons that we've learnt, clients have responses from clients. So what are the things that they've found important rather than, necessarily us you know i mean the, the glossy photos are always going to be there um but beyond that what are, what's actually sits behind that project and what was the process for that and who were the other people involved i think yeah yeah that was something that was missing on our old website it was just my god he's you know, okay, that's quite a lot of projects. Well done. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I was actually going to ask about that as well, because you've, you've basically, you've, you've created almost like written summaries and anybody that's listening can go to Tandem Studios about page and just have a look. So there's kind of, there's really succinct written summaries of stuff that you've got in progress. And then you've got like our list of big, like our best hits or our, our best of or something like that, where you just got, you know, four or five of your, what you're kind of calling your best projects, or I suppose your like milestone projects. And then there's kind of, it, it, you can't even find like a project section of your website. Like the portfolio in the traditional sense has basically just been chucked out the window. <laughs> and so now you're kind of turning them into almost like essays, right? And that's how they're, and, and I think you touched on something really interesting there that it's kind of focused more on the story behind the story. So if the project is kind of, you know, is a, is a response to COVID or whatever, then it's a COVID story. And if it's a, you know, like it's more of like, what's the narrative, what's the thing that's actually driving this project or what are we, what are, what's our main challenge? It seems like, so that's quite an interesting way to do that. So are you yeah. going to, are you going to upload your old projects or are you just going, Hey, the glossy photos, they're over on Instagram if you need them, or is that? <laughs> well, yeah, that, that actually, you know, that there's a lot in that, what you just said, I reckon. So I think the idea that the website is the sole platform now is completely dead. And that that was the where we started. We said, okay, well, why do you even bother going to a website anymore? Uh, and we had, a, we, I've got a mate, Andrew Ashton, who's a really, really talented um, graphic designer, but he's, he's also he's a great thinker and he just said, okay, what do you want this website to be? And he gave us three options because he knew if he just gave us the one, we'd go, no, sorry, mate, that's, that's, that's way too radical. But he basically had one that was fairly close to what we had, one that was sort of halfway there, and then one that said, bugger it, get rid of all the projects and just put down some key themes that Tandem are about. And, and 
everything else can live somewhere else. And if you want to, you can add to it later on, but let's just kind of clean the slate and just have a series of cycling images that were meant to be provocative as well. So not hugely provocative, but more provocative than some architectural websites, which it was about asking questions as, as much as saying, okay, well, this is what we think. And yeah, the little bits of text were, a lot of that was actually Andy. So he's been involved in our practice long enough to be able to really kind of distill some of the things that Tim and I were interested in. And once he started to do that, we kind of got on board with it and said, yeah, right, well, let's let's take that tone of voice, which was a bit different from, I think, what you would have got if you just started with Tim and I. It, it had a, um, a succinctness to it that I think we would have struggled with. Mm. But once he set that up, we said, okay, well, that, that really works. So let's keep that short piece of text with each image just punchy and a couple of lines and then yeah linkedin's become something where we put a lot of our effort in terms of the longer format pieces so we'll always post an essay on there uh but i, I think the thing you said before about well where's the portfolio we're, we're going back and reviewing which projects we really think are important now and why are they important uh, and how can we bundle those together too, rather than just saying, here's a house in Albert Park, here's one in, <laughs> here's one in Q yeah. or wherever, uh, probably not Q. Uh, so, you know, what, what are the thematics that run through those projects? And it might be that a residential project and a multi-residential project and, and a piece of work at a market can go together. And that's pretty much one of the tactics, and it's not always successful, that, that we use when we meet clients is to really talk about the fact that our range of work isn't singular in, in focus and it's um, there's quite a lot of overlap between those different areas that we work in. And um, it does again, it doesn't always work. Some people go, oh, you know, why would I choose you guys to do a house when this guy's done 50 houses and that's all he does? And I, I get that. I mean, but yeah, we haven't. So, so that's the way that we we've rethought the the work that we've done. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So, so your approach is kind of interesting because you've you're not you're not just picking a niche in the sense of like pigeonholing yourself in something and, and going. We only do this from now on. Tandem is now the public markets architecture firm. That's it. That's us from now on, and we're gonna double down and put all out like put all our chips right there but you're also not avoiding going into depth in these specific niches so you've got these kind of deep vertical niches that you're putting a lot of expertise and info into but then you're managing multiple niches at the same time so you can kind of become a specialist in these different areas or communicate like a specialist but nobody's looking at you and going oh they only do one thing so you're, you're kind of living proof that, you know, there isn't a danger to going, we're going to spend a lot of time on this one particular area at creating content about it, communicating about it. So you weren't, you guys weren't afraid, like at any point launching the podcast, for example, oh, you know, people are just going to think we just, we just talk about public markets all day. That, did that concern ever come up or were you pretty much sure from the beginning that's not going to be an issue? I think we thought it, we wanted to just sort of see how it went. I guess it was a bit of an experiment. And 
the thought was, well, we could follow it up pretty quickly with another series of podcasts on another topic. Um, yeah, we, we can really fix it. <laughs> we can fix it. Yeah, that's right. Let's just pretend that one never happened um, and move on. Yeah. But, yeah, we really thought, okay, well, if, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. We're going to jump in and, and try it. And the amount of information that we had collected over the years, it was just sitting there and it just sort of needed us to actually put the time in to think about it. And, and that's kind of been the key. It's just actually saying, right, well, we're going to do, we're going to look at our work from the outside and we're going to get people in to help us do that because we're not objective about some of this stuff. Um, and what we think is important isn't always important either. So again, the, really that, and everyone talks about client focused and collaboration and all these buzzwords that are flying around. Um, but it was also sort of trying to keep us interested in, in our own work, finding new ways to talk about it. So, you know, you 15 years, you, you bash away at it and then you keep talking about it, the same house in the same way. It's like, oh, um, we were really conscious that we wanted to be appealing to the kinds of people that we wanted to, to work with as well. So what would they be interested in? Did Was COVID and the kind of the scariness of February, March last year and sort of wondering is our business about to, we or our clients about to put all our projects on hold or maybe some of them did, I, I, you know, that's pretty common. Was that a big yeah. motivator for you guys? Because it seems like there was a bit of a turning point there where you just went, we've got to, we want to change our strategy or, or suddenly you're, you know, it just put things into focus for you maybe a little bit by the sounds of things. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, we, we definitely had been talking about it and thinking about it and trying to do it for quite a while before COVID hit. Uh, but yeah, we took a, we took a pretty big hit in April. So pretty much straight away. Yeah. Actually sooner than that was pretty much. Yeah. yeah. March. <laughs> it was, yeah. Everybody. Yeah. 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 And we just went, okay, well, what do we do now? And I remember being in the media and practice forum and there was a fair bit of panic. <laughs> so, I had to turn the um, the Slack account off because it was just giving me really bad anxiety. Uh, <laughs> collective anxiety was just feeding off itself. Yep. And so we thought, okay, well, we've got a great team. We All we want to do is hold on to them this year. That was our goal. And so how can we do that? And it just kept coming back to marketing because – it was the thing that we'd always known that we weren't doing enough of. And we got told that from the very beginning when um, Ray did a review of our business five, seven years ago. Um, and it had got better, but it still hadn't got to the level where we were taking it seriously enough. And so when COVID hit, we actually had the time to do some of that stuff. So, uh, yeah. you know, him and I said, right, well, this is, we're never going to have this time again probably so yeah <laughs> just look, let's let's do this properly and be serious about it and um yeah alicia was very much with us at that time as well so yeah, yeah definitely covid gave us it gave us that space i think yeah so so when you think about media other medium firms and like i guess your your competitors the other firms that 
you know, you're kind of in consideration with, how do you feel about the way that they market themselves generally now that without, without yeah. talking about any specific practices, but you know, I guess what can't, what I'm more curious about is what it's like being a medium practice as you start transitioning from doing less of that sort of private residential stuff that smaller firms do a lot more of, although I'm not sure that that's necessarily most of the work that you guys did, but let's just say that small firms generally are doing that. Then as your firm grows, you start doing more of your client-based changes, the types of clients you're working with and the, and the, and the challenges of having a medium-sized firm are very, very different. But what are some of the kind of characteristics of firms at, at the size that you're at and the kind of peer group that you're in? as far as marketing goes, but just generally in terms of getting clients and those sorts of things? Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, if you sort of looked at, I've tried to do this, I've tried to actually look at some success stories in, in my industry and um, older firms like the DCMs and the, you know, there was a pretty uh, straightforward line between going from small to, to big and it often seemed to work with the, the personalities in the firm. And so, you you know, your classics DCM where you had the, the artist, the the accountant, probably shouldn't call him the accountant, but anyway, the, the business guy <laughs> yep. uh, and the technician. So, you know, and they had quite distinct roles. Yep. And um, whether that's how it actually operated inside the business, that was sort of the, the appearance that it had from the outside. And so I think having someone who if you've got three people and one of them's pretty much out there trying to win new work or thinking about how you win new work and, and actually, you know, on top of the marketing, then that's got to put you in a really good position. Um, and then, so, you know, having those clearly defined roles was something again, that we didn't really have when we started out as a small practice, we were just both of us doing very similar things all the time. And, we that was probably the hardest thing we had to learn moving from smaller to medium was okay well which bits of the we can't all both do it all now we've got to sort of back off from that we've probably got to get off the tools a fair bit more than we do now and what are we going to do so and what are we doing at the moment that where one of us is better at than the other uh that that was pretty hard because we both quite similar in a lot of ways in terms of being very interested in the design process. Uh, and, and where we got to was, and sort of came out of Ray really, he said, look, you're going to do this and you're going to do that and let's see how it goes. Um, <laughs> so so you didn't take it work. easy on you then. It was just like, he's just like, this yeah. is what I expect from the two of you. Now go do it. Yeah. yeah so he made me marketing guys. Uh, really? Uh, and Tim's going, thank God. I didn't want to do that. Uh, no. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, when when we sort of said, right, well, we're responsible for that part of the business, that changed things a lot. And then it was this whole thing about, okay, well, how are we going to keep track of how we're going? Because we'd never done that. And how are we going to make ourselves accountable? We'd sort of never really done that either. As long as we were paying ourselves a salary, we, we were good. But, you know, when you've got other people you're, you're looking after, it's... Um, becomes a bit more serious. And so, yeah, the marketing thing really wasn't happening at that stage. We were just getting a lot of word of mouth and that worked really well. We got some great clients and they just became repeat clients and some of them are still with us. Um, and they're, they're gold and you always want to have those. But, but yeah, the, the thing that um, 
changed everything was really just this appreciation that we've got to spend time designing the business rather than being on the tools. And, you know, there was a real moment where, and it's only, it's only been quite recent where we've changed software platforms and Tim and I just aren't effective anymore on that. Oh, it, that actually might but, be a good tip for somebody who's struggling to get, <laughs> struggling to put the tools down, just switch the tools so you don't even know how to use them anymore. That'll exactly keep you. Right. Exactly <laughs> right. And if, you know, you're sort of getting close to 50 or over 50, it's your brain is just... Just has a complete meltdown. Like, I'm not learning Revit. That's not. That's not. That's not what I'm going to do over the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, that's more the point. Is is that a good thing to be doing? So, yeah. when you've got a business that's trucking along and and really needs a lot of work to keep it running operationally, but sales and marketing is a, a, a big part of that. Uh, and so that that helped a lot. Was saying, okay, well, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, we're going to stay off the tools, but you know they're they're good enough that the tools are good enough that you can jump in and sort of do what you need to do without getting into the bog down in the technical details. Yeah, that actually. But yes, yeah, did I answer that question? Not really. You're yeah, just... no, no, no. But oh, well, we'll come back to it because I want to know more of your kind of thoughts about, I guess, differentiation and kind of where where you feel that other firms sit, what the com- what the competitive aspects of the medium space is like from the client's point of view, because it is a bit different to like some of the small, small practice marketing, which is usually kind of more the focus of the, of this podcast and, and the kind of work that I do with clients as well. It, it really does differ once you start getting into the world where your clients are businesses and institutions and people that you can find on LinkedIn. They're kind of, they're visible people. They're people that actually exist, right? It's not like residential projects where it's like, where's the next one coming from? It could be that bloke. It could be her down the street. You got, you don't know, right? Yeah. So the dynamics of kind of marketing yourself at that medium scale, when I'm looking at the list of clients that you've got, where it's just museums and developers and universities and like it, it's this kind of institutional level. So you sort of, do you feel more comfortable in that kind of marketing environment where you feel like your, your, your potential client is more of a known entity? You can kind of think about them more specifically and, you know, develop those yeah. relationships and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's still really difficult though, you know, cause say, Pick a university, for instance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do your homework and work out, you know, okay, well, this person's in property services and this person's important and da 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 da. And I've sort of, I've done a, you know, the wire. I've had people up on the wall with strings connecting them. And you're kidding me. <laughs> no, I haven't. But you could do that if you wanted to. Uh, but this is another thing that Ray's always said is you, you've, it's got to be face to face. And to sort of be sitting in the background and thinking that you're going to put the pieces together. So getting the face-to-face conversations um, is key. And that's how do you do that? And cold calling, I mean, who doesn't have nightmares about that, right? I mean, <laughs> so you don't, you shouldn't be doing that. That That's yeah. the other thing. It's you've always got to, there's got to be some connection there. Yeah. Otherwise, why would you take the call? I mean, you know yourself, you don't take a call if it's someone you... Yeah, yeah. So so you guys are doing the sort of the in-depth thought leadership content marketing at your Tuesday marketing meeting and then you're what planning out your cold calls for the week on Thursday at your sales meeting. Is that the idea? 
we hear, we, 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 we saw that you downloaded our podcast. We would love to chat <laughs> if you've got 15 minutes. Um, yeah. But how do you sort of actually, that's sort of, I, I'm kind of jumping all over the place in my line of questioning here, but uh, how do you sort of, how does sales work for you? I mean, you have a sales meeting and you're going cold calling is not our thing. So what, what, what is your kind of approach or what do you, have you found is sort of helpful? I guess pre-COVID then post-COVID will kind of probably... Yeah. Talk about so, those things separately. Sort of comes back to that question about well, what do you have to offer that's useful? Um, and if it's just a sales pitch, well, forget it. Um, but if you've actually got something that you can think of that's informative and helpful, and maybe not even useful at the time, but might be useful down the road, uh, it, it's actually getting in front of the right people more than once. Um, and, you know, that I remember um, a friend saying, because he just got published the first time any of us had sort of been published, and I said, this is freaking amazing. You're going to get so much work. <laughs> no, come on. you got no idea what you're talking about. It just doesn't happen like that. You know, this is, it's got to be a slow build-up, and it's got to hit you from different directions. Uh, and maybe at, at a certain point, if you've got enough of that kind of, critical mass out there, they pick up another magazine that's got something in there, but maybe it's not a whole piece, it's just a reference. And that triggers a, a memory of something that you did and then you're, maybe you got a chance. But, but, you know, this sort of conventional thing of I'll get in the architectural press and somehow that's going to lead to more architecture just hasn't seemed to work for us, for sure. So, you know, when we get something published that the phones don't start ringing ever. No. Um, no. So, so yeah. it's more about okay. Well, what what can we do that's going to be um, sustained and consistent? And that's what we're working on right now with these yeah. thought pieces and the podcast. And then you know you've got to you've got to be a little bit stick your foot in sometimes and just go to some of these industry events. And so there was a time when I don't do it so much anymore. And this is what COVID's quite difficult in some ways. Um, I. I did go to a few of the um, property council events and you, you absolutely, if you can meet someone and have a conversation with them, it, it's just the best thing. And then maybe you follow up with something about, you know, it, again, if, if you can find a way to help them, that's got to be the best way to be remembered. Um, and I guess the other thing is just with COVID, trying to do it virtually has been, I've found that really difficult. So I've been to quite a few forums where someone's talking. Um, I, I've done one where you, you give a talk and the, the feedback is just not there. It's just, you know, there's brutal. a bit of chat going on. It's brutal, <laughs> isn't it? And you've got, I hate it. Well, I, I like it because I, you know, it's, I find it a lot more comfortable kind of giving a webinar than doing a, doing like an in-person lecture, but it is tough afterwards when you just had a bunch of gray tiles and initials and you had no idea whether anyone was nodding, smiling, taking notes. You you can't yeah, register yeah. any of it. And you go, did I do well there or did that go terribly? I just, you don't yeah, even know. I got no idea. It's, it's kind of horrifying, right? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. At least we're not doing stand-up. I, mean, I know, I know. 
but stand up by Zoom. I mean, it's just as tough, right? You just don't know. Okay, cool. So, yeah. so, so that face-to-face stuff and going to those events was helpful. But your point about having kind of that multi-pronged approach and lots of touch points with people over a long time and build that that trust and that brand recognition and everything. And it doesn't just happen overnight with one thing, right? It's more of a it's a it's an yeah. ongoing consistency type project where you're yeah, not trying to sure. get you're not trying to extract projects out of people on that first you know you don't turn up on day one and go okay i'm here to do business guys where's the projects you know yeah i got another meeting to go to if you haven't yeah (laughs) yeah exactly that's interesting i I think they're doing it really really well out there and the thing i notice about them is they've developed this brand who's that sorry it's quite uh, th- there are guys I know that are out there that are our size oh, right. that are doing, yep. doing really, really well. And it seems to be just this consistent um, approach to building a brand that, look, it's probably very curated, but um, it, some of them it doesn't feel like that. It feels like they've just, they just keep doing good work, um, keep getting it published, but then uh, putting their thoughts out there on whatever medium you know twitter or instagram or um but consistently can you mention an example i think um i was thinking of kta i think do it really well yeah and i think it's having different it's also having different tones for different audiences so Mm. um for instance yeah kirsten's on twitter a lot which, uh, you know, don't always have to agree with what she says, but she's there and she's opinionated. Yeah. Um, and then there's Instagram is also, but Instagram's good, but it's doing something quite different. And and I think that's the thing that we've been grappling with is, okay, well, if we're going to have something on Instagram, uh, you know, maybe the, the podcast image for the podcast isn't the most exciting thing if it's Tim <laughs> and I. So, so what's the next post? And that's been something that we've had a, we sort of struggled with a bit, I got to say, because and I was one of the main issues because I, I was being pretty controlling about it. Um, and so I've had to let go a bit and say, look, um, we've got to set up an approach here that means other people can do it. Uh, and, you know, if that's a, a graphic consistency, that that's great because, I'm you know. Yeah. My, the anal retentive in me is fine then. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, but that's, yeah, yeah. So that makes sense. Um, earlier when you were talking about kind of getting off the tools a little bit, as recognizing that the tendency to want to do that was a little bit of a restraint in the growth of your practice. Um, and what's what's interesting is that you have straight away had a pretty good had a pretty good approach to the content marketing in that you have you've thought it's probably best that I'm involved in this right and that might have been Alicia's recommendation right because I think that any any marketing person you're working with is going to tell you the marketing will be better if you're kind of at the center of it right but um was sometimes I do hear this from architects this kind of thing of can't someone else do it? Can I get it done for me completely? Like, can I just sort of be uninvolved from this? And I mean, that probably sounds crazy when we're talking about doing something like a podcast, but, um, but yeah. you've been a good sport straight away in your content and gone, I'll, I'll speed things up a little bit with a, with maybe by being interviewed, having somebody work on the copy or getting us quite a lot of assistance with the podcast. But 
you've you've still in principle gone i'm gonna put time into this right so so yeah. would you agree with that idea that it's just i guess maybe speak to for you how how important you feel that it is to um even though you're trying to sort of delegate things as much as possible but to still be to still be involved in it and you mentioned sort of being a bit of an anal micromanager but <laughs> maybe not maybe not so maybe not so much on how it gets shared on instagram but in actually like making this really quite hefty content in the first place yeah look i think it, it's got to be authentic right and if if you're outsourcing it completely i i just don't see how you can bring that level of detail and it, especially if you you know it's fine if you're just talking about producing images for instance um and, and a single line of text but if you're actually going to start to talk about the things that are really sitting in behind the projects the only people that know that are the people that worked on it and so it, what i mean I, I just think yeah you'd be kind of crazy to expect someone to be able to do that uh but it at the same time, doing it all yourself just wouldn't have worked for us either. Because, um, yeah, I mean, Tim's a really good writer, for instance, and he could probably do it, but it would just be that pressure on him to always be doing the writing. Um, and I think the other thing was just having someone edit it that wasn't me. So sometimes we edit each other's stuff and, yeah, oh, I can't believe you did that. And what? That was perfect. What did he change that for? Yeah. Uh, but having someone outside who's again doesn't have the architect's goggles on, I think, is really important. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So, did you? I guess in creating this stuff, I mean, you mentioned that you're doing things like sharing your podcast on Instagram. But are there any other ways that you're thinking about? Say, for example, like, are you guys sending all this stuff out in an email to your old clients or? you know, you've got this amazing podcast about public markets, for example. So do you start, you know, do you start sending that to people in the public market space that don't even, you know, that have never even heard of you before and you just go, hey, here's this new podcast? Like, what are you, what are you kind of doing to, to yeah, well, promote some of this stuff? Because you spent a lot of time making it, but then the promoting well, it is kind of just as hard, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think you've definitely hit on something. I mean, we... we I don't think we pushed it very hard because I think we were a bit nervous about it um, yeah. being our first podcast. So <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. You know, you should be doing that. If you go to all the trouble of making it, why, why wouldn't you sort of put it out there uh, and, and try and target a few people uh, as well? And so yeah. I think that's the next stage is actually saying, okay, well, now that we've got a plan and now that we're actually generating content, what's our process for getting it out there and is it working too because that's the other thing so how do you measure the success of these things uh you know other than how how many downloads it's had um because you know that that's who knows but if yeah, you're no, actually right. starting to get phone calls and people interested and emails well then yeah great you know i mean we did actually have a whether it was just beginner's luck, but we had a we had a call that led to a project pretty much straight after one of our articles, and so it does happen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, we couldn't believe it. That was just, I was just like, right, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, happened. that that's pretty so, good. I mean, you, everyone, there's always a bit of beginner's yeah. luck, isn't there? But um, you, you go out yeah. with your first couple of articles, and and you got you got a potential client on the phone. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. Did that feel yeah, quite would. coincidental or was or did the stars just kind of they aligned perfectly? So it was 
what was the, one was, of the what was the yeah. thing that this inquiry kind of or this prospect sort of said to you or did they did they have any comments about the article that they yeah, had read or yeah, yeah. oh wow i just read that article and i happened to be thinking right about okay. a, a really similar um so it was to do with micro tenancies in um in retail and and the relationship that shopping malls could have in terms of looking at public markets what what are some of the lessons and it and it wow. was a shopping mall been thinking along those lines so it just yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> that's just so specific if 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 that if you just happen to be thinking of something as specific as that then you come across an article that just happens to align perfectly i mean that that must yeah. feel like that must hit you oh. like a ton of bricks going what are the chances that that these guys put out an article on this it was meant to be. Yeah, it yeah. was meant to be. Well, hopefully more of that sort of stuff keeps happening with the new series. I'm sure it'll be interesting to see what you guys do to kind of, you know, push it out there a little bit more because you kind of mentioned that you, you sort of want people to discover it and come across it and everything. And and, and most of, I guess most of your existing audience isn't, the vast majority of them aren't involved in public markets, even though quite a few of them are. It's still not the, yeah. the a big part of your existing audience. So... Do you actually yeah. have any thoughts about that in terms of we, we've touched a couple of times on this idea of you've got public markets in a few other areas, like a few of these other little specialties that you're kind of sort of focusing on. Um, yeah. it, 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 how are you sort of thinking about the different parts of your audience? Because you've got this existing client base that's spread across so many different areas. When you're making something, are you also kind of thinking, well, these clients that aren't directly involved in this will still be an end like kind of audience of this piece of content or are you just sort of thinking more along the lines of we take each of these segments amongst our client base and kind of make something for them then we move on to the next group and the next group like is it more of that they kind of get their own piece of content or are you trying to kind of go this stuff is generally for everybody i guess how 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 you sort of yeah yeah that's kind of really um that gets to the nub of it, which is, uh, it, you know, is the market just quarantined within that that small group of people? And, you know, who are the kinds of people that could think about markets? And once you start really getting into it, who's to say that the latest residential mixed-use development can't have a market in the bottom of it? Or who's mm. to say that a market can't have social housing on top of it? Or... Who's to say that, you know, some of the things that work in markets might work in a public space? Uh, and so who are, the, who are the people that are thinking about those kind of projects that maybe they're not, maybe they didn't start with a market in mind. Maybe they started with something completely different. Um, and, you know, you see other firms, NH do this really well. They've got an incredible base of retail, but they've managed to expand on that to become as much about public realm as as retail and that's you know you see some of the projects that they do and they're really bettered in retail but then they've also got a really great understanding of public space and the connections between buildings and so they're i think they're quite a good model of how you know um being quite targeted and focused on a particular area doesn't have to limit you and i think a lot of what we're seeing now with the more interesting developments is that they're there are a mix of functions and programs and that, that changes over time as well. So it's not just, okay, well, we're going to have this singular version of what this thing is. It's actually going to adapt and evolve. 
which is what markets do. So, you know, it's like what's the broader thinking that sits behind markets and how can you apply that to other kinds of projects? And I, I kind of think that's the key because otherwise, as you said, you just, you've got all these silos that are disconnected. Yeah, trying to manage different yeah. audiences that don't that don't on the surface feel like they have very much overlap with each other at all. But that's interesting. Yeah. So you're saying that actually the way that there there actually is more there's potentially more overlap than than appears at the surface right there there's there yeah, absolutely the possibility yeah. that certain types of clients could have this they're looking maybe they're broadening their thinking and the thing and the types of options they're looking at as well so they're taking yeah. in a broader range of topics yeah 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 exactly yeah and i think um yeah i just think there've been some business models that you you look at now that are changing and developing. And part of that is that they're really looking to other, other business models to feed off. And, and sort of, the, you know, the shopping mall is the classic one where who would have known that Amazon would be the biggest tenant in some of the American shopping malls? Mm. Um, and, and what does that mean for these spaces and, and how are they gonna change? And you know that those, people that are the retailers sitting behind it are thinking about it but as architects you know if we just say okay well i'm only interested in that small part of retail that that was shopping malls for the last 20 years then i, I think you're in a bit of trouble mm. so yeah about being a bit responsive in terms of the way that you think about your work and the kinds of work that you, you're looking for as well yeah that's interesting so as I'm imagining that kind of you probably a lot a lot busier now than you were in April last year, <laughs> or you know that would be my guess anyway that things are things are going a little bit better now. Then are, are you are you finding it? Do you think it's do you think it's going to be tough to fit in? Like, what's your schedule of content looking like for the near future? I guess what's your sort of works in pro progress at the moment um, in this area? Do you do you kind of have multiple things at different stages or is it do you do does the way that you and tim and um everyone else prefer to work more of focus on one piece at a time from start to finish then move on to the next one what's your what's your approach at the moment that you yeah, think well, is that, working that was sort of the approach last year it was okay yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do this and then we're gonna get onto this and then and it it was good but it wasn't as fast as it needed to be so what we're looking at now is really getting Alicia's involvement um, at, at a high level um, and more, more of her time as well so that we've actually got content happening even if we aren't necessarily on it as yeah. much. I mean, so we'll be on it, on it a similar amount of time, but we'll actually be generating more content. And part of that's yeah. about bring, bringing others um, in the office onto it as well. And so I think the thing that, we'd like to get to is where you really get more of a, it comes back to what you're saying before about Tim and I being heavily involved in the content. We'd actually really like to start to open it up to the studio and yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. To a, no to a degree, we don't want to have too many posts of Friday drinks. And I mean, that, I think that's part of it though. We, 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 have, a, we have a great office and we kind of want to show that off a bit, but yeah. We also are really keen on hearing some of the voices inside the office and yep. how you do that is something that we've still got to work that out, I think. But 
it's certainly, you know. I think it's uh, four it's, or five different podcasts. <laughs> That's my idea. So I think um, I think you and Kathy and Brisbane have a podcast. I think Tim and Kathy have their own podcast. You and Alicia have a podcast on, you know, marketing. <laughs> That's one possibility. That's one possibility. Yeah, exactly. And you guys just become a little media company over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, just quickly on on Kathy, because we haven't really spoken about her much um, so far in this meeting. But you've got you've got another director in Brisbane, is that correct? And that's and that's what Kat, and she she started with you and Tim in the last, I suppose, last year. Yeah, Katie's been working with us on and off. Katie, sorry, yeah, well, yeah, a long time. Um, yeah, and it's really been so. She's based in Brisbane. Yeah, and has really been. She's has more of an urban design background, yeah, and also really strong ties with academia. Hmm. Um, so we've had projects where she's been helping us on the projects, and then last year we said, okay, well, let's have a proper crack at trying to get Brisbane up and running. Uh, and we have an office there. The timing wasn't great, obviously. Uh, hmm. So we we set a spot up there. It's a co-working space. Yeah, Katie's. Yeah, uh, the idea was to to win work and start the the office up and get a get a graduate and really launch the thing. And it yeah. we're still we've had some really interesting uh, nibbles and we've done a couple of feasibilities and small projects, but we haven't had enough work there to really sustain a full time office. Yeah, uh, and so this is something where again the marketing we haven't done a lot of marketing around the Brisbane office and how we do that and when we do that and uh, you know we need to get onto it it's <laughs> just something it's, uh, oh, it's, it's in the it's in the pipeline yeah very much and I think the thing again having a bit of extra time with COVID really uh helped us decide that that's something that we want to we want to put a push on uh and Katie's been generating some fantastic content yeah and yeah, it's been great to be able to pitch for different kinds of work because we've got Katie's skills in yeah. the team now as well. So some of those bigger urban scale projects. Yeah. Yeah. And so through the content, she's she's hopefully able to start building building a base there for you guys in that in those some of those um, areas of the industry. Yeah. Just to start yeah. that process. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a bit difficult because, again, it's a competitive marketplace up there and uh, you're, you're starting out. Uh, I mean, it's taken us 15 years to get to where we are. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it doesn't happen overnight, right, launching in a launching in a new city from, like, starting off in a one person in a co-working space and building up to eventually uh, a full office there, I, I guess is, is where it's... Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and it's it's really that thing about, okay, well, are we going to go that traditional trajectory that, that we went on? Um, we When I say traditional, we didn't really do the, the more typical start with family houses and then get bigger and bigger resi and then yeah. multi-res. Because um, we had commercial clients pretty much from day one, so uh, National Gallery and also Federation Square. We, we had connections there so that 
really helped. Um, yeah. But having said that, you know, it's kind of like those clients lasted for a while, and then and then we did a period where we did quite a few houses and extensions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was delayed. But yeah. I think the thing is, yeah, you, you look at Brisbane, you go, okay, well, that's that's one road and um, that's probably the easier, not easier, but I, I think winning a house job is different to winning a job at a uni. And what do you have to do to win a job at a uni if you're in a, a new office? That That's kind of the question. Yeah, no, that's the that was the question I was about to ask. <laughs> so. So, because I think that's the interesting part, because I think there you you're talking about this traditional path that evolving slightly bigger and bigger and bigger projects, um, starting from you know grandma's patio all the way up to you know eventually the museum or something. Um, yeah. But you're starting the new office and going, you know, Brisbane is this. It's 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 a it's a separate market. It's a new market. They're completely new people. We don't know the people there. They they don't know. You know, we we do have a reputation as an office, but we're yeah. we're we're starting. We're at the starting line, and but yeah. you're still going. You know, you're going. We're going to try and go straight to a certain scale of work. And so yeah. your approach so far has a couple of things to it. So you're doing. So Katie or Caddy is working on. She's she's doing some marketing stuff. Um, as far as like producing some content and some research and some things like that, what what other sort of ideas are there at the moment around around kind of getting those maybe even just those first client that first little handful that will start everything for that office? Is there anything that you can talk about? Yeah, so it's been um, uh, she has great contacts uh, through uni. Yeah, uh, having taught at uni for quite a while and. Yeah also on um, some council contacts as well and so and as well as some developers so it's it's been a case of basically going back to some of these people that Katie knows and and introducing them to the new role that she's got as a director of tandem and mm. and what tandem can do and so yeah the fact that she has has trust with these people and and um, and respect and then how, do, how does that translate into something that, that, that we can do to help these people? And that, you know, that hasn't always been easy because I think sometimes you've had conversations of one kind and then you come back and have a different, more commercial conversation. Yeah. Uh, but I think what we've learned is longer term, it, it, it can definitely work. And just to give you an example, so we didn't get to markets through knocking on the market door. We actually did a, ran a studio at Melbourne Uni about uh, South Melbourne market. So we, we basically got some master's students and said, okay, here's a real problem. Uh, they need a master plan. And through the, the market management, they, they got on board and the council got on board. And we just had this fantastic studio where we got access to all the right people. And the, the students did an amazing job. They presented to council. And that then led to a, a small stall at South Melbourne Market. So, yeah, it wasn't a terribly cunning plan. It just kind of happened that way. Yeah. But the, the fact that you're in there and you're meeting these people and you're showing them that, that you can contribute and add value, um, it, it's it's worked before. And I think yeah. just, just the, the academic thing as well, if you can, because the, the proposals they did, some of them were pretty out there, but a lot of them were, were actually surprisingly practical. 
And I think the the people at the market were really surprised. It's like, okay, well, these these uni guys have done an amazing Actually job. Actually done a really good job, yeah. <laughs> That's right. No, I won't say that. But, uh, you know, they, I think some of them were going, well, why can't we just do that? Let's just, Can we just have that proposal, please? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's sort of being around and, and being involved and being engaged with, other younger people who are, are studying has just been a really fantastic. I mean, that's something that's that's definitely dropped off a bit, and I'd be kind of keen to get back involved in the unis at some yeah. point. But yeah, yeah, it's harder and harder. So it's it, it kind of gives you. It sounds like I mean, you say it's not a very cunning plan. I reckon it's a pretty cunning plan. <laughs> setting up a setting up a studio. No, I get that. Um, and but it gives you sort of uh, it gives you a legitimate a legitimate seeming context to kind of do some unsolicited um idea generation um yes and the room to do that and the resources to do that and it also gives you the it, it sort of opens some doors for you in terms of then reaching out to them to involve them in the program so it kind of is a obviously yeah. university and architecture studios they they do prov provide that advantage do you think that there's a possible a way that you can kind of recreate that in a practice without being direct directly involved with the university or do you think university is just potentially the best place to do it would you ever consider going hey what if we you know our marketing project became to work on some of these things just out of nowhere and start involving yeah. people do you think it's do you think it makes sense or would you ever be attracted to doing it that way or would you always go okay i'm gonna we're gonna do this as a university thing yeah look that's that's a super interesting question because I think once you take yourself out of university, it's really difficult to keep the commercial hat off. Um, and I think, so just to give you an example, Tim and I both worked at lab for a long time. Yeah. And those guys had come from strong academic backgrounds that taught at the AA and they really tried to set their practice up a bit like a, a university studio mm. so, so they had pin-up crits um and the relationship was pretty much kind of uni lecturer to students sometimes mm. um and it it was good to a point but it actually sort of got that process kind of got marginalized because meanwhile we've got to build this bloody thing yeah and, um yeah <laughs> You know, we can't be having these long debates about patterns yeah. forever. <laughs> so, um, you know, then there's another group that just kind of got on with it and that these guys, so somehow you got to kind of bring that together. And I think at uni, you just, the, the best uni studios are the ones where you really let, let loose and just kind of really go for it and, who cares if you can't work out how to build it straight up? Um, I mean, I was at RMIT and that was that was pretty out there. When I, yeah. yeah. So, um, and but having said that, I think you know if you can set up an environment in an office that is like a studio, that means that people feel like they can contribute in a meaningful way, and you sort of lose that thing that we had at RMIT where it was really. Um, quite uh it was brutal really like the, you yeah. presented and you got destroyed quite often and that was meant to make yeah. you stronger yeah you can do it without that 
um, and people really have a meaningful engagement, um, then I reckon that's a fantastic way to run a studio. And if you can make the time to actually do research, so you're bringing questions to the, the design problem that are backed in, you know, in fact, that you've actually gone out and, and done the work, then, you know, that, that makes it a stronger project. And I think clients really respond well to that. Not, you know, okay, I've, this is my latest wacky roof design um, <laughs> because I wanted to. So, yeah, I reckon that that what you've just described is something that we sort of aspire to. And we we have got processes in the office that, that try to do that. And it's really as much just having a bloody big pin board in the office and making people put stuff up on the wall and making people stand around. Sometimes it's really awkward um, and sometimes it's fantastic. But yeah, doing that has been a really good process. And that's why the virtual thing's been been hard. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, just, one of the... I, I like that because I think that just almost a good place to leave it because I think it ties back into what I think I'm seeing that's so good about the marketing content that you're making is that it is it is it reminds me of that that studio stuff that research stuff it is that it is kind of allowed to be a little bit non-commercial and as you pointed out earlier if you were to treat it completely commercially you'd probably ruin it <laughs> so you know sure. almost by creating that little bit of separation that's how you create that quality and try to make something that's that is good and and has some substance to it and has ideas and 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 I also, you touched on saying earlier that you're actually using it as an exercise to consolidate your ideas. You're actually benefiting from it and treating it like research in a way as well, even though it's doing something which on the surface is quite simple, making a podcast, but you, you're using it as a, a, a way to sharpen your own ideas in the studio. That's probably why you haven't promoted it. You guys have gone, we've got everything we need out of it. <laughs> but it's up there. We're happy with it. <laughs> James, thank you very much for coming on. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, pleasure, Dave. Thanks for having me. That was great. Well, that was my conversation with James Murray from Tandem Design Studio. If you want to follow Tandem and catch all of their new content, you can follow Tandem Design Studio on Instagram or go to tandem-studio.net. You can also look up their new podcast, Tandem Talks, the public markets podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to learn more about me or the consulting work I do with over 100 architecture firms around the world, then you can visit vanityprojects.com. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and this conversation with James, and I'll see you again in two weeks for another episode. Thanks.